0: Peer Review is a series of podcasts designed to shed light on the extraordinary breadth and diversity of talent that sit in the House of Lords. The House of Lords often gets a bad rap because it is thought to be a house of cronies and it is an unelected house. But I hope through these interviews you will see that there is this extraordinary talent, there is a great knowledge and experience and with that, I leave you to draw your own conclusions. Well, my guest today is none other than the Duke of Wellington, the most magnificent title. It's not just the Duke of Wellington, of course. You are The one I really envy is Prince of Waterloo. And you've got you're the Duke of Suidad Rodrigo and the Ninth Duke of Victoria, which are amazing titles, which all go back, of course, to the the Iron Duke himself, your great predecessor. Most people call you your grace or used to in the old days, but now that's completely changed. And so I feel totally entitled to call you Charles like everyone else does. And Charles, it's amazing, really. You've stood for election with having this incredible heritage and also the estates that you've been left, uh, that your predecessor left the nation and an incredibly busy commercial life uh, that you've decided years ago to uh, become a politician. And I think it's extraordinary that you should actually ever want to do that. But t- take me back. I mean, the, the in the early days, there must have been this great weight upon you in terms of the heritage of your family and what you were going to have to take over when you uh, left school, etc.,
1: Well, in my early 20s, I lived in and out of North America for about three years.
0: You'd left university at that point. I'd left
1: university. I'd been to Oxford. However, I then went to work in a South American investment boutique.
0: What, they were investing in South
1: America? Mainly investing and lending in South America. Gosh, amazing. Uh, And I went there because I speak fluent Spanish. Yeah. And uh, it was an interesting... To do, and I don't regret it for a minute. It was extremely interesting. However, I did visit North America quite a lot during that period, and I saw how incredibly responsible the left wing of British, American, sorry, American politics were compared with the irresponsibility, as I then saw it, of the rather extreme left wing in British politics. And so when I came back, when my grandfather died, I came back to live in in england when the um general election of march i think it was 74 was it february was called i rang up conservative central office and offered my services amazing but coming back to your grandfather who died am i right in saying that
0: your father was not the direct descendant of the title did it move sideways because of death in the war no, m-
1: my grandfather succeeded his nephew Yes. His nephew was a young man killed in the, in the commandos, in the uh, landings in, at Salerno in Italy. He was uh, a young man, unmarried, and of course no heir. He had no children, and he didn't have a brother. And so the title went to his uncle, my grandfather. So that's how it went. And that came directly through your father? or uh, And then my, that was my grandfather who succeeded, yeah. his nephew, and, of course, on his death, my father became the Duke, and on his yep. death, I became the Duke. So it, it, we we all descend for, actually from the second son of the first Duke because the elder son of the first Duke didn't have children. He had a beautiful wife, sadly no children. So we descend from the younger son. But anyway, it's gone sideways a couple of times because yep. another one didn't have children, and he went to a brother. But we're all surrounded in this country by... The great victories of
0: Wellington. He was our greatest soldier. You live in uh, number one London, which is uh, a house that was given, I think, to him as an Adam house given bought, to him bought, by. Bought.
1: He bought that. He huh? bought that,
0: and the <laughs> estate down in Hampshire. The, the
1: estate in Hampshire was uh, was given to my ancestor by Parliament. House of Commons voted an extraordinary generous sum of money to provide an estate. Uh, a country estate for the Duke of Wellington and his heirs.
0: Uh, but uh, having said all that, you have had a full-time task in maintaining that estate and and building it. You, As you said, you learnt about land management, which is a great asset for the house. And it must have been in the case of your father, who uh, was in the laws until the 99 reform, I think. Yes, but
1: he d- didn't really play much part in the laws. He wasn't very interested and hardly ever went to the Lords and wasn't remotely interested in staying when the hereditaries were asked to uh, leave and a few um, applied to be elected by their peers to remain. Yeah, And my father never put himself forward for that.
0: And I suppose you could have done
1: at the time. No, I was not then a oh, peer. Oh, you were not then a, a peer. You were, no, yes, because no, you, you weren't the Duke then, yeah. No. And so I only became eligible to be elected, as I was eventually, on the death of my father. Yep. And, uh, I, uh,
0: and that was a, a totally different election, which we'll come to later. But in yep. the meantime, you stood as a conservative, having coming back to your conservative life, you stood as a conservative candidate for North Islington, which must have been uh, pushing water uphill.
1: <laughs> I enjoyed it hugely. Um, in the October 74 election, I was the candidate there. I enjoyed it very much. Of course, I was very unlikely to win that seat. My opponent was a long-standing uh, Labour MP, Michael O'Halloran, and um, I knew I wouldn't win, but I enjoyed the fight, and I enjoyed the campaigning, and I, they were very decent, nice people um, in North Islington.
0: Your commitment to public service sort of went on. I mean, you, you became a, 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 a councillor, correct in Basingstoke which is yep, known mean feat in 78 and then uh, and dealing with all the local issues and then of course you
1: uh, ran for election as an MEP in 79 yeah and I uh fortunately all the seats were choosing at the same time and I I, I won the first one I was in the final four so um that I got Surrey, and um Uh, I was very, very pleased to be elected to the European Parliament because I really, really believed that the first international elected parliament of the then European Economic Community was something really worth doing, and I was pleased to be there. Right. So what were the early days of the European Parliament like? Well, it was, of course, extraordinary because all the other countries had elected their uh, representatives, their members of the European Parliament, on national list systems. So the leaders of all the political parties all over Europe were elected to the European Parliament, even though they were still active national politicians. So in the case of France, Chirac uh, was elected uh, as, a, uh, as an MEP. So was Mitterrand. Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, so was Poniatowski, who was a very senior lieutenant of Giscard d'Estaing, and so on and so on. I mean, it was a very, very interesting group of people um and um it was rather a wonderful feeling to be part of this uh this first elected
0: parliament and the uh, working week i mean you would presumably go to brussels on a we, monday we did
1: two days usually two or three days a week um once a month in strasbourg once a month two 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 weeks a month in brussels uh and the fourth week of the month was a Party group meeting, which in our case was sometimes in London, sometimes in in Denmark because we were in alliance with the Danish Conservatives, and sometimes we went other capitals. And in eighty
0: nine, as you said a few minutes ago, you decided not to carry on.
1: I, I decided not, I turned my constituency. I wasn't. Um, to, and why did you come to that? Situation? Well, I thought I'd been there for ten years. I'd done. One of the subjects I was most interested in was the accession of Spain and Portugal to the EC, because I thought it was really, really good for their democracies.
0: And interesting, of course, because you you have strong family connections with both those countries. Correct. I think you have a, a, some land out in
1: Spain and we, in we Portugal. Portugal. The Spanish Parliament gave my ancestor a, a property in Spain, which we still have. Yeah. So that must have been wonderful for you too. Yeah be nice. part of that.
0: So you gave that up. And I think from a political point
1: of view, the next we see you is in sort of 2015. So what what happened in between? Well, after leaving the European Parliament, I was lucky enough to be asked to do some extremely interesting jobs in business. Uh, I became chairman of of something called Dunhill Holdings, which was not tobacco, it was luxury goods. Mm-hmm. Uh, which eventually merged into the much larger group as it now is called Richemont. And I was on that main board. I was on that main board for um, 27 years, I think, at the end, (laughs) beyond all (laughs) reasonable corporate governance guidelines. (laughs) Um, uh, However, uh, I enjoyed that very much, and I became chairman of Sun Life, which was a large life insurance company. Um, And I was also chairman of a... Fund management company called Framlington, yeah, which uh, which not quoted. It was, but but those were all in very very interesting jobs. And then eventually, I also then joined a, the board of a very interesting um, large French pharmaceutical company called Sanofi, which is one of the global leaders in the pharmaceutical industry. That was incredibly interesting, even though I knew little to nothing about uh, pharmaceutical. Uh, uh subjects before I joined that board so I've had a very very interesting business but also life. at the same
0: time you know, these as you said earlier these estates and houses they need a lot of upkeep you've got to kind of commercialize estate i mean i know yes, your daughter's I mean, got I, a brilliant uh, farm shop for example which i yes. spent rather not, a
1: lot too much money in i'm not sure that's very relevant to the house laws <laughs> but yes that is true um, but i mean you must have spent quite a, had quite a plan well uh, no I, I i've been lucky that i was able to do this uh, uh, we had good people managing and uh, i was able to do it um at weekends and when other times when i wasn't busy on other things. Yeah, and and uh, in 2015, I asked our elder son to take over the management of the estate in Hampshire, and so he now does that,
0: which freed you up to um, uh, join apply. the Lords I mean, this yes. is an extraordinary thing, isn't it? That in the 99 Act, there was a, a 92 hereditaries uh, that were left uh, that then. Becomes this election process, where if you want to become a hereditary peer, you have to stand for election amongst your peers, and you decided you would. Uh, and I can't remember: was your election just within the Conservative peer, within the peers, or within was, the whole House?
1: I, I, I personally think it was a pity that they made uh, most of the ninety, to be precise, seventy five of them, I think it is, are elected by party groups. And 15, and only 15 of them, are elected by the whole House. I think it was a pity that they weren't all to be elected by the whole House, but that's the way it's worked out. And although there are those who wish to reform or indeed abolish the election systems, system for hereditary peers, which I quite understand, I uh, would have preferred them to propose that the uh, elections be by the whole House, I think that would have been a more sensible uh, amendment to the original arrangement. However, I think it's probably moved on from there, and I suspect that at some point, the government will give time, or a government will give time, to the bill by Lord Grocott to uh, do away with the um, hereditary by-elections. Because I understand they are open to some degree of skepticism. Well, you're a case
0: in point of why we should continue to have hereditary peers uh, in, in the House of Lords. Well, that's nice of you to say so, but it, it, it well, is, Well, I'm course. not saying it, I mean it. And, <laughs> and, uh, and it would be the case with uh, a good many of the hereditaries that I, I, they're fully committed to the future of the House of Lords, whether they're in it. So, But it, it's, it's, a, it's a, a point of discussion.
1: I mean, on that point, uh, of course, it is difficult to justify in one sense in a modern legislature that uh, some members are there by effectively inheritance in some way, even though modified by election. But I personally find that uh, less indefensible than what I have. Personally, I do find very distasteful that certain peers are nominated by party leaders partly because they have been generous donors to that particular political party, not just the Conservatives. Other parties have done that. And I do think that is very regrettable. And I think that is not a principle that I would ever ever
0: support. Obviously, I I sort of kind of fit in that category as I was treasurer of the Conservative Party. But um, I think that the overarching thing has got to be what those people have done for life. And what they have done outside of the political world and so many of them have been extremely successful business leaders and you and i know who they are so i think you have to mix it up but i i see your point of view i'm not here to argue with your eminence your grace on this matter um just uh so you you're a very active peer i i know this you're you're there most days um I mean, very active and became a thorn in the side of, of our great party. But up to that point, frustrations may well have been building because of the position you took on Europe and the eventual Brexit. But, and but, but these, but, these but, were very charged times. But, but
1: in that sense, I was much more mainstream conservative than um, might have been imagined, because uh, after all, it was a relatively small group of. Conservative MPs who voted consistently against Mrs. May's proposals for Mm. the Withdrawal Act. Every time I spoke in the Lords, I said, if I had been an MP, I would have voted for Mrs. May's proposal. So I was not against the principle that we were leaving. Clearly, we were leaving. There had been a referendum, and that had been confirmed. But as far as I was concerned, in the two... Uh, party manifestos at the at the twenty seventeen general election, in which case means which both parties agreed to respect the outcome of the referendum so i was I had accepted totally that we were leaving. I just wanted to make sure we left on better terms, and I think we in the end uh, achieved but
0: it was a perfectly understandable point of view for you to take i mean you'd yeah. be, you'd experience a european parliament, you have strong heritage within Europe. Um, you've been part of it since the beginning so it's, it's perfectly understandable that you should take that case and also it's perfectly understandable the reasons you gave for um, leaving the party and you know that's the beauty of
1: the Lords is that you can retain that independence absolutely and I, I actually think that um, that mentality of independence is is very desirable amongst members of the House of Lords because we've this afternoon been voting on various points of the illegal migration bill. And I have noticed conservatives voting against the government uh, some very convincing speeches uh, against the bill from conservatives, Baroness Hillich, Baroness Mubarak, and so on. Um, So I I, I think there are all sorts of Mm. matters that come to the Lords where I think it is right that people exercise their independent judgment yep. if they don't agree with their party, whichever party that may be.
0: Well, I think that is the thing about the Lords is that, and, and what we're try- what we're conveying in, in these conversations is that it has independent people, it has people with great experience, and you've got experience, as you say, in business, in agriculture, and state management, all these things that many MPs never have, that they can bring that experience to bear into uh, challenging on the one hand the House and also ensuring the legislation is fit for purpose. Which brings us on nicely to, uh, I think, your great triumph of, of recent times. And I don't say this loosely and it's become such a huge topical issue where you really did lead the way on the Environment Bill um, on to reduce pollution from dumping of sewage in, in rivers
1: well it's and, and where it's got, did you
0: where, so i mean that became a sort of kind of campaign for you where, where did you sort of first get the real urge to take this on as your
1: cause there, there was a very good panorama program um i suppose now three years ago uh which exposed the extent to which. Uh, Thames water were dumping sewage into the river Thames and it was completely revolting that the, the site of the river bed of the Thames being covered in um, material deposited <laughs> in, in lavatories all over London and, um, and sewage and the color of the water and everything and really one felt that at least I felt that um, it was unimaginable that this should still be going on in Britain in 2020, and I really felt this was something we had to do something about. So when the Environment Bill was uh, came to the House of Lords, having passed through the Commons, very interestingly, this in the co- there was a I think they call it a Select Committee or a Bill Committee in the Commons which had proposed 200 amendments to the Environment Bill, not one of them, not one of them was, uh, was accepted. Or, or indeed, I think most of them weren't even debated or voted on because the government has such a large majority. And as you know, we have a system in the Lords mm. that any amendment tabled has to be debated. Yep. Uh, and any member has the right to table an amendment. In the in the Commons, that is not the case. So we are much more able as backbenchers in the Lords to have some influence. Yeah. So over, the bill sailed over through. bill
0: Sailed through. Came sailed, into the Lords.
1: Sailed through the Commons. Came into the Lords, and in the second reading speech, I brought up this subject, and I quoted the Environment Agency figures of the number of spills of sewage into our rivers. Um, in the last year, and these were not my figures, they were from the Environment Agency, and it was a figure of something like 400,000, as I remember, and no other person speaking in the second reading uh, referred to this figure, and nobody corroborated it. And a former uh, chief executive of the Environment Agency spoke in the the debate and used a completely different figure, much (laughs) lower figure. So, I mean, that was the degree of, Lack of knowledge amongst many members, that the, the minister then dealing with it, Lord Goldsmith, Zach Goldsmith, I didn't, I don't think he even uh, was really aware of it. And I remember in my second reading debate saying that I really did think watching this panorama program was was uh necessary for all ministers in the in Defra. To do because only if they had seen that programme could they begin to understand the degree of the problem, and I really believe, quite genuinely, and it's not a party political point, and nor indeed it really a criticism of the minister's concern, but I just think there was a lack of knowledge amongst ministers as to how serious the problem was.
0: So, just to explain what you, process you have to go through to put down to make a change to a bill, you you put down your amendments at second reading.
1: No, you can't put them down in Secretary, in the committee stage. I'm sorry, put, committee stage. You yeah. put down sorry, on even madness, I know that. <laughs> and I was very keen to have on my amendment one backbencher from the Liberal Democrats, from Labour, and from Conservative. Uh, the frontbench Labour spokesman offered to sign my amendment, and I asked them not to because I said I didn't want this to be seen by the government as an official opposition move. I wanted backbenchers for all. groups, And I think that was the correct tactic because it became accepted as a cross-party movement, if I can call it that. Um, And I think that's what led to its ultimate uh, success.
0: And now, of course, it is the topic of the moment in the environment. Sadly,
1: sadly, it has become that. Yeah. And and there's a lot of discussion
0: now about nationalization of the water companies and things like that. Do you see that as the no, way of I, of? I mean, I'm not
1: in favour of that. I think privatising the water companies was a probably uh, the right thing to do at the time, and certainly it freed up a lot of capital to be invested, um, which would not have been available. Uh, the treasury would never. Yeah, people agreed. forget
0: they were starved of capital before. Of they course were. they were.
1: Yeah. of course they were. So I, I'm not in favour of nationalisation. What I think the water companies have been guilty of, and we have to accept this, that in 33 years, 34 years, or whatever it is since they were privatized, they have allowed, uh, first of all, the original public ownership, uh, shareholder ownership has in many cases passed to private equity groups, which is perhaps not the most, the best type of owner for uh, for a public utility. Firstly, mm-hmm. secondly, they've restructured the capital of these companies and <clears throat> there's a lot more debt. The initial the uh, amounts of investment required were not raised through equity, they were raised through debt. Um, and uh, so I think that's turned out to probably been a, a mistake. Thirdly, I think the financial regulator, which is offward not mm-hmm. the environment agency, offward has not overseen, Enough on the foresight, wheel. the the capital structures of these companies, um, and uh, because after they have a in a sense a veto power, because they have to approve the business plans uh, of these uh, companies before they're allowed mm. to put up the charges, and so they have had an oversight, a financial oversight of these companies over a very long time, and I'm not sure they've really been. Uh, alert enough to the developing problem of too much debt insufficient equity investment and and uh, inappropriate uh, ownership because i i'm afraid i don't really believe that uh, a, a private equity group is necessarily <laughs> the right long-term owner for uh, 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 what is a public Utility and a monopoly I think the, a regulated monopoly
0: yeah I mean off what had been asleep at the wheel is no question, and you 've exposed this, and you know i 'm sure if you look back now you'll think this is one of your great achievements and and, and I think we owe you debt I mean moving back if you like to your non political life you 've been very active in King's College, London, uh, where you were chairman of the governing
1: body for which was a very very interesting. Two thousand and seven. I did that for nine years, which is the statutory yeah. maximum. I was allowed to do it. Uh, I would have happily gone on longer, but we had a nine-year rule, and of course I respected it. Um, it, it was a very interesting thing because, of course, you work with very clever people, uh, and the whole um, strategy of a university, particularly a major one uh, cent- centred in London, is extremely interesting. It um, King's College has been hugely hap- successful. Happens to have one of the largest medical schools in, in the country, if not in Europe, because they have four different hospitals working uh, with with the university, King's College Hospital, Guy's Hospital, St. Thomas's Hospital, and the Maudsley, which is the psychiatric hospital. So that side of it was very, very interesting. Um, and of course they have a very, active humanities um, side uh, well known for war or defense studies and many other uh, humanity subjects Uh, and also i was able to help them in that period get the east wing of somerset house which they had always been meant to have when my ancestor founded king's college he suggested that they be located in the east wing of Somerset House. And we were able to achieve that while I was chairman. So that was satisfactory. And that, by the way, was resisted in 1829 by the the civil servants who then were all located in Somerset House and didn't want to be moved out. Uh, So that was quite an ironic twist, but it took a long time to get there. And also, very importantly, when the BBC moved out of Bush House, we were able to secure that for uh, King's College, uh, so that really was a significant change. And it's now been pedestrianised, yeah, no, so that it, really is, has it really has created a, a very good campus. Yeah, no,
0: it's inc- incredible. So finally, you're very active in the laws. What's what's the next big?
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm too old to be. Ambitious, no, 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 <laughs> no, that's unfair. <laughs> um, you no, might have I said mean, that in I, tw- 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 I,
0: 2021. but uh,
1: you- I look upon I look upon um, uh, service in the Lords as being public service. I know it's not often considered that, but I personally consider it public service. I, I consider it non party political in my fortunate situation of being a cross bencher, uh, and I am only interested. In trying to help the the governance of this country by really good scrutiny of legislation in the Lords. Uh, And I genuinely believe that the Lords does perform an important role in improving legislation. And there are many ways to illustrate that, but uh, we now have a Scottish Parliament. Scottish Parliament, unfortunately, doesn't have a second chamber, and as a result, I believe a number of long-term mistakes have been made.
0: Because there's been no scrutiny of a second chamber. Because there's been no proper scrutiny
1: by a second chamber. Mm. And as you know, um, serving in the Lords, um, we really do scrutinize bills. You might almost say in too much detail, (laughs) but the fact is we go into a lot of detail, very long sittings, very detailed debates, um, and... um, On the whole, I think we improve the legislation. I would say that, wouldn't I? But I do think we do.
0: Well, it's incredibly kind of you to come and spare the time. It's been really fascinating. And keep up the good work, I think, is the answer, isn't it? Thank you very much, Charles.